0: All right, you guys can take a seat, you can take a seat, all right, hey, who's excited to be here at Somersault, yay, what a blast, okay, guys, last sermon for me at Vertical, little emo, (laughs) let's not talk about it, okay, okay, good to be with you guys, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Tony. I'm one of our college pastors here. I have the privilege of leading Salt St. Paul. Shout out to SSP. Great crew. Hey, excited for this fall. When we move down to Summit, you can park in the literal same parking lot, and it's a lesser walk. Praise God. Yes. And no sketchy bathroom that kind of locks sometimes, okay? Really d- ready to be done with that. Okay, so, hey, guys, excited to be here with you guys. If you've got a Bible, would love to open it up to James chapter 3, James chapter three is where we're gonna be today. Normally I offer you a Bible, but we're fresh out. But this fall, this fall we'll have more, we'll buy some. Okay, we will give you a Bible this fall. James chapter three is where we're gonna be. And the conversation that I wanna have with you tonight is the reality that your words have immense power, that your words can either make or break people, that your words can either build or hurt them. Let me pray as we enter into our time together. Father, I'm excited. For the opportunity to teach your word tonight. Thank you that this isn't any normal Wednesday, but as we gather in this place, as we sing songs to you, as we open up your word, that your spirit is in this place. Thank you that we have the Bible, that we can hear the voice of God in your word that you gave to us. Thank you that your word has transformed so many lives in this room that it's never been about salt company, it's never been about the person preaching, it's always been that for the last 2,000 years, your word has been speaking through the New Testament, and for the last 5-ish thousand years, it's been speaking through the entire Bible. Father, we're thankful, thankful for the opportunity to know you, to taste and see that the Lord is good, and to believe that you are with us here right now. It's in your mighty name that we pray, amen, amen. All right, here's how I want to begin our time together. Have you guys ever noticed there are small things with big impact, okay? Small things, big impact, story time. I was at the place I'm always at, Chipotle, yes. Yes, if you guys been to Salt St. Paul, I mentioned fast food on average, .75 sermons, okay? Three out of four, I was at Chipotle. And I went to Chipotle and the first guy I met was like, don't go in there. I was like, this is a unique experience. And he's like, they're out of everything. And I was like, no, they're not, it's fine. Guys, they were out of the corn salsa. That is the singular best thing they serve. That is why I go to Chipotle. I don't go there for the chicken. No, the corn salsa. Small thing, big impact on my quality of life for my lunch meal. Second thing, second example, turning in your final paper two minutes late. Yes, Just drop out, just drop out of college, you're not making it, it's not happening. 1201 rolls around, nope, you're done, okay. You can still come, you just can't be in college. Okay, third thing, third example that I have for you is a couple years ago when my buddy Colin and I were sitting at a table together and I looked over the room and I was like, Colin, do you think she's single? Because she's really cute. And he was like, I think she is, and now we're married. Yes, praise God, small things. We got married two years ago. This is not a marriage announcement, but two years ago. Small things, big impacts, okay? Here's why I set up that framework for you, because that is the logic that James is going to use and that we're going to flow through for the next 25 minutes as we talk about one small thing that has incredibly large impacts in your life. And that small thing is the words you say. Here's the truth about the words that you say. They have the power to either build or break people. The words that come out of your mouth can transform someone's life in the positive or the negative. I think all of us have experienced words like this. I remember hearing words like, I'm not impressed by you, which at first is ouch, okay, but I do believe in you. Words like I am for you, that even through hard seasons, we will make it. Those types of words built me. By the Spirit of God, God used those words to make me who I am today, and I've also heard words that have broken me. Words like, I can't tell my parents about you because you're not white. Words like, I've lost my feelings for you. Words like, you're not enough. So here's a simple reality for all of us today. No matter what your socioeconomic background is, no matter what your degree is, no matter who you're going to be, you have one thing that has immense power, and that is the power of your words. Okay, open up with me to James chapter 3. Here's where we're going tonight. Two parts to the sermon. I'm not really a three-point guy. I take too long. So two points. Two points. The first one is that your words have disproportionate power. They are a small thing with immense impact. And the second part is your words honor Jesus or they don't. There is no such thing as a neutral word or a neutral sentence in the kingdom of God. They either honor Jesus or they don't. Turn with me to James chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 3. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. All right, guys, it's time to talk about horses. Yeah! I dated a horse person once, okay? Not saying horse girl, because that's derogatory, but horse person is literally true. She was an equestrian. She's actually great. Okay, horses. couple fun facts for you. Did you know? Did you know that horses can get up to 1,800 pounds? Think about the quads on those horses. Like, oh my gosh, terrifying. But here's what's crazy. They are huge. Horses are yoked, okay? They are absolutely massive. Horses that are 1,800 pounds can somehow be controlled by a 50 pound kid. How? Because of this thing called a bit, which if you knew horse people, you would understand it controls the horse. Okay, second analogy that James uses, ships, okay? I've never been on a cruise, (laughs) because we were poor growing up. Anyways, cruises. I've seen movies though, and here's what I know. They have enough weight to feed people appetizers all day long for months, okay? Think about how big that cruise ship is. Massive, right? Absolutely massive cruise ship. And yet a rudder, which is like the thing that um, goes like this under the boat, that thing. That thing controls the direction of the ship. Okay, so what is James saying? As the bit is to the control of a horse, as a rudder is to the direction of a cruise line, your words control and direct the rest of your life. Here's something that I think is a little bit fascinating about our culture, okay? We love fitness. Fit everything. TikTok, oh my gosh, I'm a fit, fit, fits the model, or whatever it is, you know? Like the, the thing where people try to make money off of like just taking care of your body, okay? Whole different thing. We as a culture absolutely love physically shaping ourselves. Think about how much intentionality we put into making sure our bodies are fit, And think about how much our culture does not care at all about taming the tongue. But here's the reality. There is nothing in the Bible that says God wants you to have an eight-pack, okay? If you do, good for you. But God doesn't care. But he has much to say about how you use your words. So the question is why? Why does God care about how we use our words? Here's why. Because the words that come out of your mouth are actually indicative of a greater reality in your life. The words that you speak are actually indicative of the story that you're living. Let me ask you a question, hypothetically speaking. If I was just a ghost in your life, okay? Following you around everywhere you go. 6 a.m., I'm there. Don't think about too much. But you know, noon, whatever, I'm there. If I heard every sentence that came out of your mouth, would I conclude that your story is that of redemption? Like if I was with you at 6 a.m. when you're like you're like 20% of a human being, okay? You're like, I hate everything. And you speak to other people at 6 a.m. Would I conclude that listening to your conversations, you have a story of redemption? Do you talk to your friends in such a way that I would conclude that you have experienced the living God? Do you talk to your parents in such a way that I would conclude that you who were once dead in your sins was brought to life by Christ. The question I have for you tonight is if you aggregate all the words of your life, every sentence you've ever spoken, all the words that you use, what kind of story does it tell? Does it tell a story of redemption or of culture? And the second thing that's important here is the reason why this matters is because the story that you tell will determine who you'll become. See, the truth is, the story that you're living in right now, the way that you view yourself in light of who Christ is will determine everything about you. What you believe to be true about him, what you believe to be true about yourself in his greater redemption story will determine everything about you, and I can almost guarantee the type of person you'll become by the words that you speak on a daily basis. So my question for you is, do your words tell a redemption story? Okay, so when I was in college, I was incredibly insecure, okay? You could have looked at me wrong and I would have just shattered like a glass person, okay? It's just true. I was incredibly insecure, but I put out this outward facade like I had my life together. I worked really hard. I tried to pretend like I was doing all right all the time, but each day was like this roller coaster ride of emotions as other people's affections or disaffections, my successes or my failures would begin to mark my lived experience, okay? That's who I was. And then I met my friend Jordan, okay? And Jordan Adams, who was my college pastor, my salt committee director at the time, would just sit down with me and by the Spirit would speak life into me. As I began to share with him my deepest insecurities and my deepest vulnerabilities, he would just encourage me with the gospel and remind me that he was with me. And that he would actually teach me what it looked like to believe more and more of who Jesus was. And as he spoke those words into my life, the story and the script that I was living began to change. And who I am today is almost certainly a direct response of what God did through my friend Jordan to rewire the broken parts of my soul. Okay, why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because your words that you speak tells the story you're living implies who you're becoming, and you have the power by the Spirit of God to actually help other people live a different story. What if you stopped looking at your words as just a way to express whatever you are feeling in that moment, but the words that you spoke, God would actually use to build in people a resolve, deepen their identity in Christ, Make them look more like him. What if God would speak through you to build people up? Okay, let's get practical. Three ways. I want to give you three ways to build in people the way that Jordan built in me. The first one is to speak courage, okay? Did you guys know that encourage, encourage literally means to give courage? (laughs) I didn't. (laughs) It was very exciting when I found that out. Encourage, to literally encourage one is to give courage. Think about it like this. You're like a courageous Santa Claus. You know, you're just like, yes, you take some. Absolutely, you know what I mean? Okay, what if, what if you just spent like the rest of your life encouraging people? Listen, Salt company. I have never met someone too encouraged. Never, not a single day have I met someone who's like, you seem a little bit too encouraged today. (laughs) Let me take some from you. No, I've never, I've never had that experience. I think the American church right now is emaciated of encouragement. Starved for someone to just look them in the eye and say, you know what? Jesus is doing a work in you. What if we would actually speak courage into people's hearts? The second thing I want you to do is to speak hope. All right, here's the thing. I know I talk about suffering all the time. Oh, suffering and death. I know, I know, especially this spring. I got a little emo near the end. <laughs> Don't worry about that. It was dark. It got dark, like April. I was like, I don't know. Anyways, I was actually in a good spot. Here's the reality. (laughs) Sharing a bit much. Jalil just said, get it together, bro. (laughs) That hurts. Moving on. Speak hope. Here's the reality. You will hit seasons of your life when it will be really hard for you to believe that Jesus is good. You'll hit seasons in your life that no matter how many Christian cliches people throw at you, no matter how many times they quote Romans 8, like, don't you know that God does everything for you? You're like, just shut up. That's what it feels like. You'll hit seasons of your life where you'll hit such a dry patch spiritually that you'll begin to deconstruct every experience you've ever had. You'll start saying things like, well, yes, of course, in college, it was good because I was around all these other people. You'll start to be like, it was the community that was good, not God. It was the experiences, like fall retreat, that was good. It wasn't Jesus. And you'll need people to give you more than Christian cliches. You'll need people to actually point you to hope. Okay, you're going to have those moments. And when you see someone else in those moments, speak to them tangible hope. Just slowly remind them, the sun will shine again. You will get through this. By the spirit of God in you, he will complete what he started. And there's heaven awaiting so that even though this season is full of immense suffering and pain, and even though you can't figure out a way to get out of it, Jesus has got you. And one day, there will actually be a real day, a tangible day, by which you experience the presence of God so fully that you won't have a moment of sadness in your life you need to give people real heavenly hope. Christian cliches suck. Stop using them, okay? That's my personal problem. Give people hope. Okay, third thing is, speak truth. Okay, speak truth. Here's the reality. The first two are nice feeling, right? The third one is how you actually love people, okay? Calling people to holiness is not a hard thing to do. It is the right thing to do. And the truth is, What people need is not just affirmation of their feelings. They actually need to be told that there's truth in the word of God that they can be rooted in. You need to give people truth in love as you speak courage and hope into them. Okay, I just want to give a couple examples of this. One is Jalil called me earlier this week, and he was like, hey, man, I'm struggling with sin. I'm like, awesome, okay? I was like, thank you so much for calling me. I mean, it was like kind of awkward because I was like, why am I so excited about this? But I wanted to encourage him. I was like, thank you so much. Praise Jesus that the Spirit of God is alive in you so that sin is not something you're numb to, but you have the ability to fight it by the Spirit of God. I was just so encouraged. I poured out, like, what if we just gave people courage instead of condemnation when they came to us with their stuff? What if when someone came to you in their vulnerability, you didn't just say, "Ah, yeah, just be better, actually, which hopefully you wouldn't say that as like a friend, (laughs) but you gave them real hope. You're like, no, actually, like, you're, you're killing it. Jesus is moving in your life. What if instead of condemning people, we would actually give them courage and hope and truth? And yes, there's always truth. There's always ways to grow. There's always more wisdom to have. But what if we gave people hope? I think the lives of people would change. So here's the application from this part of the sermon. After this service, this is gonna be awkward. Just do it, okay? Find someone you know. And like, think about it. Like, pray about it during worship. like, oh God, who would you have me think? You know, find someone you know in this room whether it's the person you came with or a different person, and just go speak life into them. And it's gonna be awkward, okay? It just is. Like, it's weird when you walk up to people and you're like, Jesus is doing a work in your life. (laughs) It's weird. Just do it, okay? Here's why. The devil, Satan, is relentless with his accusation. Why wouldn't we as Christians be relentless with our encouragement? So talk to someone. Let them know they're killing it, okay? Jesus loves them. All right, that's part one. Your words have disproportionate power. Small thing, big impact. The second part is that your words honor Jesus or they don't. Look with me to verse five, as we read five through 10, the rest of our passage together. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body setting on fire the entire course of life, and as set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and be tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. I'm laughing because James be so intense, you know? All right, let's talk about it. All right, part one, part one, what do we talk about? We talked about how your words have power. They have disproportionate power. Part two, part two, James is going to warn us about the danger of our words, the potential destruction of our words, and he begins with talking about how fires are started. Okay, guys, what has been up with the air quality recently? Like, every day, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's unhealthy. Can I walk outside? Well, it's been like this for the last three days. I can't leave. I have to leave, right? Okay, air quality. How does that happen? It's because, like, oh my gosh, it's a a lesson on the way atmosphere works. It's because things are burning, okay? There's things burning, all right? It's a problem. I'm not going to refer to the Canadian wildfires because I don't know much about them, but there are these things in California, very dry place, where, like, forests just combust. Like, I don't even... Like, there's like a natural way this happens. It's amazing. God is so creative. But anyways, that's good stuff. The bad stuff is when like you hear those stories of these freaking California wildfires that are started by people not putting out their campfire at night, which is so stupid. I'm like, what? Okay. Or when people are like dropping cigarettes and it's like one cigarette, hundreds of houses burned. You're like, oh my gosh, how does this happen? This is the analogy that James uses, okay? Like a cigarette butt that can light up an entire state, your words can wreak havoc in someone's life. The words you speak can light a fire in someone that is a raging tempest that could take over the rest of their future. Guys, I have met 50-year-olds, which is like an eternity in college ministry. You're like. How long were you alive in the 1800s? No, 50. I have met 50-year-olds that can still tell you words that they were told before they were 10. Four decades later, the words of certain people spoken to them by people who were supposed to love and care for them had been to shape them so much that the story that they began to tell themselves and the people that they became was reflecting those words. That's the power of words in people's life. Eugene Peterson wrote a transliteration, which is a fancy way of saying the message, and he wrote about this. It only takes a spark, remember, to set off a forest fire. A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. By our speech, we can ruin the world, turn harmony into chaos, throw mud on a reputation, and send the whole world up in smoke and go up in smoke with it, smoke right from the pit of hell which is intense but it's true that your words can destroy people and verse 10 says this that from the same mouth comes blessing and cursing okay so here's what we're learning from part two of James chapter three that your words can destroy people but here's also what we're learning that your words aren't neutral which means every word that comes out of your mouth, every sentence that comes out of your mouth is either honoring to Jesus or it's not. There's none of that in-between space where it's like, mm, it's like kind of honoring to Jesus, whatever. Have you guys heard the phrase? I, my mom never said this to me, but I, whatever. If you can't think of something nice to say, don't say anything, okay? That took me really long to figure out what that phrase was. Anyways, here's the James 3 version of that. If what you're about to say doesn't honor Jesus, don't say it. What verse 10 says is that out of the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. Those are the two options. You can either honor Jesus with everything you say, or you can curse him with that same mouth. Now let's pull over here and talk about cursing and cussing. Yes, yeah. The cussing police is like, is he talking about this? Let's talk about it. Here's what cussing is. Cussing is stubbing your toe and just being like, S-H-I-T. Do you know what I'm saying? You're like, don't pretend like you're holier than that. You do that, I do that, I mean, do you not? (laughs) Whatever. You know how much that hurts when your toe collides with wood? I mean, it is extreme pain. That's cussing, that's cussing. Cursing, biblically speaking, is actually a heart posture. It's the heart before the words come out. You know, when you start getting mad. When you're like, oh, I'm about to rip this person a good one. Like, you feel that? Okay. That heart posture before whatever you're about to say is a heart posture of wanting to take away from that person the dignity of their identity in Christ slowly. It's actually lower them a peg. Okay. Here's why I explain this to you. Because there's actually a way that you can cuss without cursing. Some of you guys are like, finally. The (laughs) loophole. Here's how. Here's how. I was preaching a sermon last fall. And a guy came up to me afterwards, and he was like, dude, that was bleeping awesome. Which is cussing without cursing. (laughs) I would use different words in the future through sanctification, but anyways, that's an option, right? Okay. I think Christians are really good at the opposite thing. I think Christians who are church tend to be really good at cursing without cussing. Saying stuff like, man, that guy, my roommate just needs so much prayer. I mean... Shoot, that's like fourth day in a row that the dishes are out. Like, I don't, like, is the Lord even in his life? Like, people say crap like that. I'm like, just, what are you saying? His salvation is not on whether or not he does the dishes. I mean, he should be a better friend. It's just not. Have you guys heard are saying, like, bless her heart? <laughs> Which is a Southern way of saying, she's so dumb. Like, that is literally what that means. Do you guys not realize that? Christians be so good at cursing people without cussing. Here's what's true. Cursing people is sin in the eyes of God. There's three ways that we can curse people with our words. The first way is gossip. This one's a big one because they always hide this in prayer language. It's always so holy, but it's not. Gossip is saying behind someone's back something you would never say to they face. Does that make sense? Second one is flattery. This is, I'm kind of passionate about this one because flattery is saying to someone's face something you would never say behind their back. It's trying to earn their approval in the moment while you secretly kinda hate them. That's flattery. And the third one is complaining, okay? If you're here from this spring, you remember the sermon where I just got so mad about complaining, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Memory lane, complaining. Complaining that comes from a heart of criticism. So coming, let me just make this very clear. Complaining and Christianity are mutually exclusive. There is no such thing as a complaining Christian. Let me explain this. You know how ungodly you look when just the tiniest things in your life go wrong and you start complaining? Do you know how much it doesn't honor Jesus to just complain about people in your life? Man, my professor, such an idiot. Oh, my gosh. Why? You know what that doesn't scream to me? A redemption story. You know what that doesn't scream to me? Sanctification towards holiness. What that screams to me is cultural complaining. So here's the question I have for you. What's the group of people in your life? This is about to be contentious. Get ready. (laughs) That you're like pretty okay with throwing shade at. What's like the archetype of the person that you're like, you know what? I can talk crap about them. God doesn't care about that. Maybe it's someone who leans politically different than you and you're like, I'm so right, they're so wrong, that it actually doesn't matter to God whether I talk about them like they're an image-bearer or not. Maybe it's your friend behind their back, your best friend, who in the moment you're vibing, ooh, awesome, but then you go to that other friend, and you're like, this person's crazy. Maybe it's your parents. Really easy to throw shade at the people who raised you, and I get it, I've had a hard relationship with my parents, but that's, that's normal. Maybe it's any person in authority in your life, So here's what our culture says. Anyone who's in authority is just automatically wrong. Your professors, your teachers, your pastors, your parents, whoever it is, they must not understand your experience. And so you actually have the ability to talk crap about them. Let me make this abundantly clear. Cursing people is sin in the eyes of God. I think one of the reasons why our culture has turned its face away from Christianity is because churched Christians care more about being right than honoring Jesus with their lives. They'd rather win a debate than honor Jesus with their words. They'd rather feel right than lay down their lives for the people out there. Listen, your campus is not some imposing enemy that's trying to kill you. Your campus is a mission field that God has given you. Which means how you speak and how you live really, really matter. And here's why. If every sentence you speak is unwholesome and doesn't honor Jesus, the sentence of the gospel loses its power. How do you think people are going to respond when you tell them about Christ crucified? resurrected from the dead so that you could live, that you who once dead in your sin is alive in Christ when every other sentence of your life is complaining, when every other sentence of your life is gossip, when every other sentence of your life is flattery. What if we would just actually think in light of the words we say so that the most important words that will ever come out of your mouth for someone who is far from God will actually land? the question that I have for you is are you aware of whether or not each one of your sentences, each one of your words actually honors Jesus or not? And guys, you know, this matters to me. Yes, you can tell, I'm a little passionate about it. I'm passionate about it because up until the last couple years, I've been so flippant with my words. I've not cared. I, I told our staff, I joke too much. I just do, and at times it's unwholesome and doesn't honor Jesus. And it hasn't been until the last couple years that I realized that the weight of my words means something in people's life. That the way that I speak about how long this Starbucks line is, you know, when you're in there and you're like, this is taking at least twice as long as it normally does, and you're tempted to be like, oh my gosh, isn't this crazy? Those types of words really matter to people because it actually implies something about my story that isn't true. See. Any type of speech that doesn't honor Jesus screams the message that your story is not that of unbelievable grace, but that your story is that of cultural entitlement, that your story is that of self-serving lifestyle. But when you lay your life down, because Jesus has laid his life down for you and you honor him with your speech, you begin to tell a redemption story. And when you present the gospel, It changes people's lives. Okay. As I call the worship band back up, here's how I want to end our time together. Here's a vision cast. Here's a positive vision cast. I know that was hard to hear. We live in a culture of contempt. Okay. I'm about to use a big couple words. That's just, it's sociology, but you know, you should read about it and Google it. It's fantastic. Our culture can be described by a couple different words. One is tribalism. This idea that, we actually know so much that we're right that the other people are crazy and wrong, so we need to get in a tribe and attack that tribe. That's contention. The other one is cancel culture. We actually don't even want people to have a chance to live. We're like, whatever that person is, that person doesn't deserve life. Hate speech, the idea of speaking about others in a way that they're demeaned. We live in a culture that is quick to break down, full of hatred, and slow to build up. But Saul, come in, here's my vision cast for you. In Minneapolis and St. Paul, this fall, what if Salt Company would be a place where people talk differently, where they use their words with intention, where they're wise about what they said and would honor Jesus with their mouths, where everywhere else, guys, people are so anxious in our culture for a lot of reasons. One of them is because the second you do something wrong, someone's going to roast you. They're going to call you out and they're actually gonna to try to strip away from you your dignity as a human being. That is incredibly anxiety-inducing, okay? What if in this place, when people came to us with our weakness and their confession, we were just so pumped, we were so thankful for the opportunity to present the gospel to them again, that Jesus Christ did not come for perfect people, but he came for sinners in need of grace. I actually think that a campus and a city Full of hatred and brokenness would flood into rooms like this. Okay, here's I want to end our time together. The beauty of James chapter three is not just that your power, your words have disproportionate power, that your words matter. But what I want to show you tonight, as we enter back into worship, is that the most important words in your life are not the words you speak to other people, but it's the words that Jesus will speak to you. If you want to live a life where you speak life into other people, where you encourage them, where you help them see that Jesus is good, you need to get in your Bible and you need to listen to the words of Jesus reverberate in your soul over and over again, not just once, not just twice, every day for the rest of your life so that the Spirit of God would give you the words to say to others. So here's I want to end. I just want to go through some of my bangers, okay, in the book of John of words that Jesus said to remind us, that the most important words in our life are not the words we speak, but the words he spoke to us. They'll be on the screens. In John chapter one, Jesus spoke the words, come and see. And with those three words, he opened up the very fabric of heaven so that those who are wandering aimlessly could follow the King. In John chapter four, four, Jesus spoke the words, whoever drinks of the water I give him will be never thirsty again, so that we who are dead in our sin dehydrated from our depravity, could experience a living water of grace. In John 6, he said he is the bread of life. In John 8, he is the light of the world. In John 10, he is the good shepherd. And in John 11, he said, "Last come out. In John 14, he said he is the way, the truth, and the life. In John 16, he said he has overcome the world. In John 19, he said it is finished, and by his words, He tore down the dividing wall of hostility between God and man, so that you who are drenched in your sin can be covered by the blood of Christ. In John 20, he said, I am ascending to the Father to prove that in the Christian life, death is not the end of the story, but it's a gardener for life to come. So here's the call Salt Company, to honor Jesus with your words, because he used his words to redeem your life. Let me pray that that be true of us. Father, our words matter. How we speak matters. The words we use matter to you and matter to people. The words that we have have power to either break or build people. And Father, I pray that this room would be a place where we think about every word that comes out of our mouths. We think about every sentence that comes out of our mouths. And we think through the lens of, does this honor Jesus? so that as we speak words of encouragement to each other, we may be filled up. As we speak words of mission to the world out there that they may hear, because our words are different than the words of contempt of culture. They are a redeeming story, bringing us into a reminder that Christ is with us. Father, pray that the thing that would mark our lives is not gossip, slander, it's not flattery, that it wouldn't be complaining pray that the words that would mark our lives would be those who give courage who speak hope and speak truth it's in your name that we pray amen